Hello, you're listening in with Lloyd Goslink. This podcast is brought to you by Lloyd Goslink, Rochelle and Townsend in Austin, Texas. Lloyd Goslink is a 30 plus attorney firm specializing in natural resources, energy, litigation, and employment law. My name is Angie Matz, and I am the firm's marketing coordinator. Our purpose with this podcast is to talk with some of our practice area experts about timely topics and trends in an informal setting while aiming to be a little bit fun and informative to listeners. Hi, my name is Gabrielle Smith, and I'm a principal here at Lloyd Gosling in the litigation practice group. So where does the administrative appeal process start? Sure. So I'll start off by saying that my colleagues here at Lloyd Gosling get to handle a lot of the administrative proceedings that are before the PUC or TCQ with the State Office of Administrative Hearings. And I have the honor and privilege of getting to practice in our judicial venues primarily. And so what I would say about the administrative appeals process is that it actually starts before you get to the judicial process. It starts back at that administrative proceeding process. And so in the administrative proceeding process, you're dealing with a decision or order that you're looking to obtain or looking to fight. (laughs) And so the administrative appeal process, or as I'll call it, the judicial review process, really begins before the judicial process. It begins back when we're still in the administrative proceeding phase. So the judicial review process is the judicial review of a final order under Texas's version of the Administrative Procedure Act. And there are limits to the Administrative Procedure Act and the types of orders that are going to be eligible for review by state courts. Because generally, there's no waiver of governmental sovereign immunity unless it's expressly carved out by the legislature. And so under the Administrative Procedure Act, which is housed in Subchapter G of Chapter 2001 of the Texas Government Code, for all of you who want to, you know, look it up for yourselves. So for in order for an action to be eligible for judicial review under the Administrative Procedure Act, it must be a final agency order or decision, and it must arise from a contested case hearing or a contested case. So let's think about both of those elements. The first is that it needs to be an order or decision from a state agency. So Looking at maybe in a different context from what we do here at Lloyd Gosling with environmental law, if we look even at in the education context. So we have TEA, that Texas Education Agency, that's a state agency. An independent school district, an ISD, is not a state agency. So there is maybe an administrative decision that an ISD makes, but that's not going to be eligible for review by the district courts pursuant to the terms of the APA. That doesn't mean that there might not be judicial review afforded to it, but it's going to be under some other separate statute. So what I'm talking about today when talking about judicial review, it's purely those state agency decisions that fall under Chapter 2001's purview. So likewise, just like not every administrative decision comes from a state agency, not every action of a state agency arises from a contested case. So a contested case, think of it as any proceeding that involves a trial-like process. And so there would be sort of the opportunity for some sort of adjudicative hearing so that the parties can present evidence, present witnesses, and kind of argue the merits of their respective positions. So in order for a decision to be final, it needs to be a final order or decision in order to be appealable under Chapter 2001. And so there are 
four ways in which a decision or order is final. One is that the time for filing a motion for rehearing of that decision expires. If the motion for rehearing is filed, the date after which the motion for rehearing is overruled by order or by operation of law, the date that the agency signs the order, if the agency determines that there is, and this is a very specific phrase that has to be in there, imminent peril to the public health, safety, or welfare that requires immediate effect of a decision or order. And then the final way in which a decision or order is final is if there's a date in the decision or order agreed to by the party stating that it's final. And so of those four ways, obviously the first one, if the motion for rehearing deadline has come and gone, you've missed the deadline, then you cannot file a judicial review action in state court. The other three ways, all of those are trigger dates for when it's final and when you can then look to file a judicial review action. For the first one, obviously, the reason why that's a problem in terms of being eligible to file a judicial review action is because the motion for rehearing is actually a prerequisite to filing a petition in state court. So Texas Government Code Section 2001.146 actually governs the parameters for motion for rehearing. So just like we talked about those trigger dates for when a decision is final, the trigger dates for a motion for rehearing are just as important because as I said, and I cannot, I cannot, cannot, cannot express enough how important this is, the motion for rehearing is a prerequisite and non-negotiable for filing judicial review in state court. And so whenever the decision is final, for it's final, final, and final and appealable, whenever it's final, you have 25 days from the date of that order or a decision to file a motion for rehearing. Now, there is some flexibility, and in Section 2001.146 of the Government Code talks about ways in which a party can seek extension or by which an agency can unilaterally extend it. But the decision by the agency to either grant or deny the motion for a hearing can't exceed what the 100th day after that order. So there still are going to be timelines and parameters around that, but there's no automatic extensions. And even if you request an extension, it may not be granted. So being really mindful of that 25-day timeline is really important. And especially if the decision that you get is not in your favor, it's really important for uh, a party to really examine whether or not they're going to want to file a motion for rehearing and you know whether it's to err on the side of filing it so as not to waive the right to file a judicial review action in state court. So the motion for rehearing, aside from being kind of the trigger for the judicial review petition and kind of where we start thinking about our timelines from the date that the motion for hearing is either granted or denied or denied by operation of law, the motion for hearing is really the last opportunity for the agency to modify its decision. So a state agency will issue its order, and then if a party wants to file a motion for hearing explaining why the agency got it wrong, citing evidence, citing the law, the agency can take that up and can, you know, maybe adjust its final order accordingly. And so that's the last time the agency has that opportunity to do that. Because once a party files judicial review in state court, that's it. It's hands off. So it's not only the trigger for filing judicial review, but for the agency, it's the last time to say, eh, do we really get this right? Do we really want this to be what's taken up should a party contest it? And so a state agency must act within 55 days of that final order, like I said before, and that's the default and cannot act after the 100th day. That's the absolute max that any extension can go. And not only is the motion for a hearing a kind of last call to the agency, 
but it's also going to set the parameters for the eventual judicial review action. So if an issue is not raised within the motion for rehearing, then a party cannot raise it in the petition for judicial review. And so think of this. If you have an administrative proceeding where we're challenging, let's say, a permit or an order, and there are 10 points of error at the time. In the motion for rehearing, we think about it. We say, eh, I think really, you know, they probably got all this wrong, but we're really challenging these five points. Not all 10, but just these five points. And so the motion for hearing is either denied or denied by prediction of law. We're filing a judicial review petition in state court and we're writing the petition and we now want to write about all 10 of those issues. No way. You can only write about the five that were within the motion for rehearing because the motion for hearing is, again, it's, I cannot express how important it is because it's the trigger date, it's the last call for the agency, and it's what really sets the parameters and the tone for a petition for judicial review. And so a court lacks jurisdiction and, and cannot, even if you were 100% right, the court cannot act, cannot adjudicate, cannot look at those issues that are not within the motion for rehearing. When a party kind of briefs their issues in the motion for hearing, it must do so with enough specificity in order to kind of put the agency on notice, eventually put the court on notice. So it's not just to check in a box. You know, you don't just file it perfunctory and just say, I don't like the decision. Like you need to be able to explain and and set out kind of why the agency got it wrong. So you're going to have to identify the findings of fact, the conclusions of law, and the claims that are in error. And so those are kind of the prerequisites to getting us to district court and kind of the administrative appeal, judicial review that we're talking about. And again, I call it judicial review, not administrative appeal. One, because that's what the statute calls it. And two, because, you know, there is an appellate process. Once we get into state court, you know, a party can file an appeal. Judicial review under the Administrative Procedure Act is set out in Section 2001.171 of the Texas Government Code. And that section just authorizes a person who's been agreed by an administrative decision to petition for judicial review of that administrative decision after exhausting administrative remedies. And again, that exhausting administrative remedies goes back to that motion for rehearing we were just talking about. So once once motion for rehearing has been filed and it's gone through its whole life cycle, then we're talking about the petition for judicial review. And so that petition must be filed within 30 days from the date that the decision becomes final and appealable. Once we've let the motion for rehearing either what's denied or overruled by operation of law, we're going to calendar 30 days and then file our petition within that time frame. Importantly, no matter where you are in the state, when we're talking about these state agencies, the petition for judicial review must be filed here in Travis County. So our courts and our attorneys here at Lloyd Gosling are really familiar with that because this is where all the action happens. So the petition is filed here in Travis County. It's served on the state agency and in all the parties to the administrative proceedings. So that's really important. You know, we were thinking about the opposition going back to this being kind of an ad, the contested case, adversarial nature, the opposition, the interveners. So everyone who was invited to the party at the administrative side has to be given an invitation to state court. And so once we're in front of state court, we have two different standards of review that we're operating under. It's trial de novo and substantial evidence. What's the difference between trial de novo and substantial evidence standard? I mean, that's a great question because without kind of knowing the background of them, they're just 
sound like a bunch of gobbledygook for lack of a better term right now, but trial de novo is like resetting the whole thing. So it's going to be a standard that doesn't look at what happened at the administrative proceeding level, other than that we need to know what the final decision was. But, you know, you can present new evidence, you can engage in discovery, it's going to proceed like, honestly, any other matter in civil court. And so the regular rules of the Texas World Civil Procedure will govern it. And it's basically like a brand new case. And that's another reason why, too, I think calling it judicial review and being mindful of judicial review versus not treating it as an appeal because trial de novo is not an appeal. It's a brand new lawsuit. That stands in stark contrast to substantial evidence because substantial evidence is an appeal in trial court. So the trial de novo standard or cases that proceed under the trial de novo standard are just like brand new cases. Cases that proceed under substantial evidence standard are more like our regular appellate matters. And so by that, I mean what the judge looks at is the record that was built in the administrative proceeding. So the parties will get that administrative record. That's what's filed with the court. That's what's used. That has to be admitted as an exhibit during the hearing under a substantial evidence case. And so the court shall reverse or remand a decision of an agency under the substantial evidence standard if it's in violation of the Constitution or a statutory provision, if it's if an agency acts in excess of its statutory authority, if the decision is made through a lawful procedure, if there's some other error of law, if the decision, and this is really important, is not su- supported by substantial evidence, or if the decision is arbitrary and capricious and is characterized by an abuse of discretion. Those are kind of the two standards. And again, I've talked a little bit about how trial de novo proceeds in the court. Substantial evidence is actually going to be governed by our local rules here in Travis County. So I would always advise someone to look at the local rules in any court they're practicing in, but especially here because there are special rules for administrative review actions here in Travis County. So if you look at Chapter 10 of the local rules in the Travis County Courthouse local rules, they're right on its website, but like, but again, our attorneys here are well-versed in them. They talk about the case assignments. They talk about briefing. And it, again, it's going to look a lot more like an appeal. So we're not going to be engaging in discovery. But the evidence we have is going to come from the administrative record. So a party who files a petition for judicial review here in Travis County under substantial evidence standard will file their petition, again, serving the state agency and serving all the parties who are involved in the administrative proceeding before. And the local administrative law judge must be notified in writing through a separate letter. So again, it's not going to look like your regular civil suit. The administrative law judge is going to assign the case and the parties will have to set out a briefing schedule. So we'll file briefs that are going to be a lot like appellate briefs and are actually governed by the Texas Rules of Appellate Procedure. And then a date for a final hearing on the merits. And so that hearing on the merits is not going to involve witnesses. It's not a, it's not a trial. It's just a, a hearing on the merits. It looks a lot like oral argument and the appellate court. And again, central evidence uh, review actions look a lot like appeals. So the administrative appeal briefs are going to be governed by the Texas Rules of Appellate Procedure, and that includes all the requisites for those briefs under Rule 38, except for there's not going to be a statement regarding oral argument because that hearing, you're already guaranteed oral argument. And you will have to include a glossary of terms because as anyone who has ever dealt with a state agency or 
even a federal agency, but has dealt with an agency knows there are so many acronyms. And while our judges here in Travis County are well-versed in these sort of administrative actions, you know, we have to help them out a little bit, not make them guess what every single acronym that we're using is. So you need to include a glossary of terms for both acronyms and kind of technical terms that are going to be used throughout your briefing. The administrative record that the administrative agency prepares and that's going to be filed with the court is going to be physically in the room during the administrative hearing and it's going to be admitted as an exhibit and it can be a part of the, the clerk's record or the reporter's record. And again, all of this is pretty technical, but that's kind of an overview of how cases proceed through the district court under substantial evidence standard and under trial de novo. And maybe the question is, you know, how do I know if my my judicial review actually would be trial de novo or substantial evidence? So the way you'll know whether a judicial review action should proceed via the trial de novo route or the substantial evidence route is through the enabling statute. And so if a statute specifically says it's trial de novo, then it proceeds under trial de novo. And likewise, if the statute says that it's proceeding under substantial evidence, that's how it proceeds. So, you know, for our Chapter 13 actions under the Texas Water Code, Section 13.381 of the Texas Water Code says that judicial review of actions under this chapter will be conducted under substantial evidence standards. So that's going to be substantial evidence. And that's what we'll see kind of a lot of. But if a statute doesn't say... If you have an enabling statute and it doesn't say trial de novo, it doesn't say substantial evidence, then it proceeds under the substantial evidence standard and the substantial evidence route. And so an example of that, if you look at Section 5.351 of the Texas Water Code, that authorizes judicial review but doesn't say trial de novo is substantial evidence. So those judicial review actions would proceed under substantial evidence standard. Once you get a decision from the district court, is that it? So once you get a decision from the district court – you know, the party who's unhappy with the decision is entitled to file an appeal with the Court of Appeals. And so that's going to be the third Court of Appeals, again, here in Austin, Texas. But knowing that the courts sometimes to even out a caseload will transfer the appeal to another court. So, for example, maybe you file your appeal with the third Court of Appeals, but it gets transferred to the seventh court in Amarillo. That happens. And so that's why you'll see appellate decisions from other courts of appeals because they've been transferred. So one thing that I didn't say earlier that I think is important to note is that there are times that even though a party is required to file the judicial review petition in district court here in Travis County, that a party by its own motion or the district court can move for immediate removal to the third court of appeals. So we're not waiting until we go through either the whole case, we go through the hearing, all of that jazz, we're going to move for immediate removal. And so that's going to happen if the district court finds that public interest requires a prompt, authoritative determination of the legal issues in the case and that the case would ordinarily be appealed. And so that's not going to be most of your cases. So it's not to say that, not to say that there aren't matters of great importance in every, in every judicial review action, but it's going to be those that kind of fall a little outside of the mold. And so then, like I said, a party or the district court may request that transfer. Now, the Court of Appeals has to grant that transfer. And so if the Court of Appeals grants that transfer, then the case is going to be transferred out of the district court to the Court of Appeals for the decision. Then the agency's decision is going to be 
subject to judicial review by the Court of Appeals rather than judicial review starting at the district court level, really. And so that's kind of the high-level overview of the judicial review process. But whether or not a decision should be kind of appealed through the judicial review process, what issues, you know, because you really have to think about that before we get to the petition filing stage, because going back to a motion for a hearing, in order to preserve those issues for the court, you have to really protect them at the motion for a rehearing stage. And so when you're thinking about moving for a rehearing, when you're thinking about kind of looking at the initial decision from the agency, you want to start formulating, okay, what what do I think the court would take up? And not to say that the court would review anything that's before it, but you want to start thinking of what issues you want to preserve, what issues you'd want to move forward with. And that's at every stage of the process. And it's something to be mindful of, honestly, even when you're in the heart of the administrative proceeding, because when you're putting together your request for information, when you're putting together your pre-filed testimony, you're putting all of that together, at that point, you're building the record that you would ultimately have to use at the judicial review stage in district court. So one thing, and this is the same thing with any civil trial, whenever you're at the trial court stage, if it's something that's going to be ultimately appealed, you're building your appellate record right then. So that's why whenever you're filing any sort of motion, you're filing any sort of pleading, you're wanting to put your best foot forward, not just to win right now, but to win it all. And so when you're thinking of who you're calling, what you're doing, all of that begins at the administrative proceeding level. So they're not really separate. They really go hand in hand. And so you're always wanting to preserve issues to build a strong record from the very beginning. So that way, when you find, when you know you get the decision that maybe there's really these errors that would result in a denial of approval for this permit instead of a grant or whatever the subject might be of the decision that you're looking at, you're going to want to kind of look back at what the record you have, because the record you have already built, you know, because a lot of these are going to fall under substantial evidence because it's either going to be substantial evidence or going to be silent as to the standard. The record you have at that moment is a record you're going to have. So looking at it with a really strong eye at the motion for rehearing stage is really important because that's going to kind of set the tone for what you do in the state courts. And so with that, if there are ever any hesitations or doubts or questions as you're moving forward with the administrative process, with the judicial review process, and you are in doubt or hesitant or have questions, always reach out and ask the question because that's going to determine kind of how things move forward from there on out. If you would like more information about what you've heard today, please visit lglawfirm.com. You can also find us at Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views, nor are they endorsed by Lloyd Gosling Law Firm. None of this content should be considered legal advice, as one should always consult a lawyer. This podcast is not intended for commercial purposes and is made available at no cost. Music for the podcast is from album Jazz You and is titled By the Coast 2004-2007 by Anthony Rajakov. License under the Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License is available on Free Music Archive. To learn more, visit by clicking the link in today's summary.